Hey, good to be back after being away for a week. I want to encourage you to go to our new website at www.broadwaychurchlife.com. We had a great time at our prayer time last night. We'll do more of them in the future. And one of the things you know we're praying for was to have no division within our churches and our country. But we have fights for our rights and we're calling each other names. And um, of course, we have different views on things. And a popular one today is to call the other side Nazis or being like Hitler. And it comes from both sides. It's difficult. It is difficult to pray for our nation. I get that. And, and to not let our politics become the subject of the prayer, but we need to pray for our nation. When Christian leaders become more concerned that their particular political view takes precedent over logic and reality, it makes all Christians look bad. And to connect the other side with Hitler is absolutely ridiculous. So we need to be careful how we talk about this in a Christian way. Here's what I saw last week from a Christian leader on their social media post. They had a picture of Christia Freeland, who is our finance minister and deputy prime minister. Then they had a picture of her grandfather, Michael Chomak, who in the 1940s was the chief editor of the Ukrainian publishing house. Then it had a picture of his boss, who was the chairman of the Ukrainian publishing house. And then it had a picture of that person's boss who became the governing general of occupied Poland. Then there's a picture of that person's boss, and you guessed it, it was Adolf Hitler. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry at this depiction of connecting our finance minister to Adolf Hitler. And from a Christian leader, we can do better than this, folks. And so let's, let's, we can have disagreements, but we love and we care and we speak respectfully. I guess you can believe this, you know, this idea that Christian Freeland's connected to Hitler, but it's absolutely uh, ridiculous and uh, shouldn't be coming from a Christian leader. We can disagree with some of our government decisions, and I do. <laughs> I know it's difficult to be obedient to the scriptures about submitting and honoring our government. That's what we're called to do. And so I want us again to continue with the lack, have a lack of division, but have unity as we go about doing the Christian mission in our city, our country, and our world. And, and the latest thing on the war, then you have Christian leaders trying to relate every world event to biblical prophecy. I'm sure our typical end times authors that are out there will be writing more books on the topic because of this last week in Ukraine. And what they write today will probably totally contradict what they said in their last book about the end times. But that stuff sells. 700 Club founder Pat Robertson said this week that God himself was compelling Putin to invade the Ukraine. And that would be then the path to invade Israel. Look at the map. It's not anywhere <laughs> going like that. And he's basically saying, we can't stop this war because God has started the beginning of the end times. He was excited about it. So let's be good Christians. Here's a brief recap from a couple weeks ago. We talked about soil and our hearts. We had the seed in the path and it didn't have a chance at all. Then we had the seed on the rocky soil. It's someone who heard the word of God, but had no root. There was testing there, no deep root. And when the pressure came, it stopped growing. Then we had the seed that was thrown among the thorns. It, it started well. Um, it heard the gospel and it believed it, but there's no maturity because the seed was fighting with the thorns in the ground for the nutrients and the thorns choked them out. And Jesus put it this way. What are the thorns for our heart? Life's riches, life's worries, and life's pleasures. They're the chokers for us. These are spiritual issues. 
Seeking first the kingdom of happiness and personal gain is not to be the goal, and they can choke out the word in our life. And so we talked about the weeds that get sown into our hearts and minds. Jesus, again, the worries of this life is a thorn. The deceitfulness of wealth or riches, the desire for other things, the pleasures, they come in and choke the word, making it unprofitable, good, not good soil. And the main point from that sermon was we need to guard our soil. We need to guard our heart. And the heart in Scripture sometimes is synonymous for the mind and understanding, for the will, our affections, our conscience, for the whole person, the soul. Generally, it denotes the whole person and all the faculties of it. We have a, a way of operating, and this is who we are, and that's what we need to protect and to be godly. Last week, Zach talked, and it was fantastic what Zach had to say last week. And so he talked about how as a community of believers, we do the work of the kingdom together, and this work is as varied as we are. And he had this idea that we are sent out to do these things, to do this work for the kingdom, which means we're working for the king ultimately. And he made this a few, some many good points. It takes many people. No one person is isolated and alone. No one person ever carries the weight of the mission. Men and women who seem to be the sent ones are always part of a community. And so we need to be giving. It takes money and effort and time to have the kingdom work done in this, on this earth. We spend money on the kingdom. We spend money on the kingdom of this world. And God is saying we need to spend money on the kingdom of heaven so his work and his purposes get done here. We work together. It takes earthly money, bills, <laughs> coins to fulfill kingdom purposes. Paul made tents so that he could do the ministry, and he sold them. Some gave money to him and offered free hospitality and food. And, and I say jokingly, he got free rides to Rome from the government. <laughs> Matthew six nineteen, we read, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Mark 4.19 put it this way, God gets crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things so no crop is produced. So this is still connecting to our lessons from nature. God is after the health of our heart, of our soul, not our money. You know, we have stranger alerts out there to warn us of dangerous people that could harm and permanently damage our children. God is giving us in these scriptures a money alert, except it's not a stranger. We know this fellow. We like this fellow. He's about one inch in diameter. It's about one sixteenth inch thick of, of bronze. Some have a red poppy in the middle. We also know them. They have also known as loony, a bill, a moolah, big bucks, greenbacks, shekels, chicken feed, wad, cabbage, bread, loot, and legal tender. When traveling in Britain, or if you're watching a lot of British shows, they're known as quid. <laughs> in the USA, our Canadian dollar is mostly known as useless, but currently becoming more useful. 
And what is the plan of money? It's stealth and sabotage and seduction and choking, treason-like tendencies. That's what money can do to us. That's what Jesus is getting at. Uh, it doesn't have any current address. It's a wanderer. It sometimes take up, takes up residence in the human soul and tries to replace God. And money was last seen taking an unsuspecting person down a road to destruction. You read 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We need money. But what the Bible's getting at is this love for money. Money is our friend. Money is good. We need money. But it can also do a lot of damage. We need money. We need a $20 bill uh, to go buy the pizza. We can't it literally eat the money. And often it is the good things that money can buy that dulls our senses toward God. Or these good things can keep us too occupied from spending time with the important things that really matter to our soil, to our heart. The gifts and the pleasures of life can become a substitute for God himself. Money has never made a person happy long-term, nor will it. There's nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a person has, many times the more they want. Instead of it filling a vacuum, it sometimes makes a bigger one. If it satisfies one desire, it sometimes doubles and triples that desire another way. Those are the words of Benjamin Franklin in, the 1700, in 1706. So the Bible's telling us to put our thoughts and our desires towards our, our treasure. A person's heart inevitably follows its treasure. That's what Jesus is getting at. And giving of our time and our money is one of the tangible pictures God has given that directly reflects my heart, my soil conditions. Do I voluntarily give? Do I give because I want to when God is working in my life? We need to trust God with this. Of course, we need to look after our life and our family's life here, but there are bigger purposes than just running our family life. We give as part of working against the lure of money and its benefits. We give to God not to get more. You know, some pastors or teachers talk about, give me 10% to my ministry and you'll get 100% return somehow. We're not talking like that. We give money to the kingdom because money is an integral piece of you and I and our community. And it sends people into our world to bring the good news of Jesus. And then people are his heart and feet and hands of Jesus. We have seen that recently with our giving to Mennonite Disaster Service or Flood Relief and to the Ukraine with Chad and Mary and Tatiana from our church. We give because that's where our heart is. Biblical giving is for spiritual reasons. It's not because God wants to make our life a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> Tithing is how God taught his children, proportional and sacrificial giving. Now, we have mixed feelings about tithing. Depends what you've read. Some believe it is the pinnacle of giving. I give 10% of the gross, not the net. As long as I give 10%, though, some people think I'm free to do what I want with the remaining 90%. And that's not what the Bible talks about. Others are convinced that tithing should never be practiced under the new covenant. It's Old Testament. It's Old Covenant. We are not bound to that. We're not. I think Paul talks about probably giving more than 10%. doesn't bring it up. He talks about proportional. 
Tithing and gleaning, as you look in the Bible, was God's way of looking after the poor and widows and the ministry of the temple. Money and things went towards that. In the New Testament, we now see a missionary enterprise taking off to the, to the world that hadn't really happened in the Old Testament. And there is additional money needed for sending and teaching and providing for all these teachers. Jesus addressed this tithing idea in Luke eleven forty two, And he talked to the Pharisees. But how terrible, it, how terrible it will be for you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income. That's important. You're careful to do that. That's good. But you completely forget about justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. So we can't just tithe, think it's an obligation done with. No, God wants to work justice into us, the love of God. Giving doesn't get us you know, what we want. That's not the point. It's, it's helping us guard our soil. Jesus' point to hard issues of justice and the love of God, and they're important, if not more. It is because of justice and the love of God that a person would tithe or give to an enterprise. Now, the accumulation of wealth can be so absorbing of an occupation that sooner or later money enslaves its victims and leads them to despise God. That's what Paul was getting at. Jesus says this without compromise or limitation. It absolutely is not possible to go after both God or money. It's one or the other. And when we go after money, we become hoarders. We keep money to ourselves. We, be, we get anxious and fearful and just, for many, have materialistic gluttony. Again, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, I talked about money before needing to come with some warning labels of what it's about, but here's a couple more. Um, we need to be known that, number one, money will not satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, written by one of the richest people ever. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It's Solomon. Wealth, some people say, is like seawater. So far from quenching your thirst, it intensifies it. <laughs> Maybe it's like the Lay's potato chip. The more you get, the more you want. Bet you can't just have one. <laughs> Advertising could be described as an enterprise or the science of arresting the human intelligence long enough to get money from it. <laughs> Another warning is money might make you selfish. If you are driven by the desire for wealth, it is nothing to us for someone to lose in order for us to gain. We're not looking for win-win situations. If I win, I don't care if you lose. The desire for wealth fixes our thoughts and ourselves and others become a means or an obstacle in the path of our own enrichment. We see that all, all the time in this capitalistic world. It does not need to happen, but it often does. Good character and relationships can be thrown aside for personal gain. That's a warning. And no, number three. Having lots of money can also bring fear and anxiety and even death. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And the more haunted you can become by the possibility of great loss. We've seen after great stock market crashes, there's murder, suicide, stress-related illnesses, and marital breakups because of money. God is not against stable financial planning. Don't hear me say that. He's not against investing. But the warning is to not put your life on the market. Because it will leave you. It will, it will forsake you. Money will, but God doesn't. God will not leave you or forsake you. 
Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 said, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a person do to me? So here's a couple of realities of Christian giving, and it, it relates to this nature lesson about protecting our hearts, our soil. Number one, it is, it is an expression of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5. Now I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They went way more than the 10%. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the gracious privilege, privilege of sharing in the gifts for the Christians in Jerusalem. Best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves or their soil to the heart of the Lord and to us and then went to God for direction. The Apostle Paul does not begin by referring to the generosity of the churches in Macedonia, which is in northern Greece. He, re he refers instead to the generosity of God, to the grace which God has given to the Macedonian churches. In other words, behind the generosity of these churches, Paul saw the generosity of God. Grace is another word for generosity. Our gracious God is a generous God, and He is at work within His people to make them generous too. And these were Gentile people giving to Jewish people who were in need. Another amazing miracle in the first century. Christian generosity, your generosity, your soil, your heart is fundamentally an outflow of the generosity of God. Because God is generous to us, we want to be generous to people. Number two, giving is proportionate giving. We see that in 2 Corinthians 8, 12 to 14. Each person should just give what they're able to give. If you're really eager to give, it isn't important how much you're able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, Paul says here, I don't mean you should give so much that you suffer from having too little. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help and can help them. Then at some other time, those people can share with you when you need it. In this way, everyone's needs will be met. So it isn't always just a constant uh, number. There's fluidity to our giving. This is difficult for us as we all have different interpretations and ideas of what it means to have a lot and what it means to have a little. We are in different areas of what we think in that way. But we all look at our monthly cash flow, which is money in and money out. And the money is shrinking for some, and it's staying the same for most. But the money out <laughs> is getting increased. And so something has to suffer because there's so much more money out than there used to be. For example, my Santa Fe a year ago was $80 to fill up, and now it's $120 to fill up. So there's 40 bucks, you know, 150 bucks a month. The inflation rate is at an all-time high. Housing costs in our area here in Chilliwack are 40% more than last year at this time. Milk and basic food products are sometimes double the price from last year. So our money out has increased, but our money in hasn't. What do we do with that financially, with giving, with generosity? Well, we need to protect our soil. We need to protect our heart in these things. Now, in the world, there are pesticides to guard about the evil that lurks 
around in the soil, but we need to look after our heart. It's the headquarters of who we are. It's mission control. It's the tactical and brain trust of our whole enterprise. Again, go back to what Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So our giving is going to shift as things go up. We need to, you know, in some ways. Now, here's some reasons people do not give or hang on to the money. There's fear, there's worry, there's loss, there's greed, there's a slow drift from God, procrastination. I'll give next week. Church seems to have survived without me. Um, I haven't made a difference, so why increase or even start? But there are good reasons to give. Give time and money because it's a generosity of God in us. He's saying, give because you have a generous heart. And we all need to figure this out as our costs go up, but our income stays the same or even goes down. We have to decide what we spend our money on, what do we cut out? You know, some people cut out holidays and trips and new cars so that they continue to give the way they want to. How do people choose to give? Three things, belief in the mission, uh, regard for the leadership or the people involved that is looking after the money that's being given, and fiscal responsibility. They want bang for the buck. What is the percentage that goes to administration? Is there good value in this? I mean, it's very similar to how you and I choose to buy any product or a service. Belief in the product, belief in the company, and the value. We've done, a, I think, a tremendous job at Broadway giving to different things that we have. We have good soil in this place that protects its heart and is a giving church. We've had Christmas projects, and this last year was $40,000, double what it has been other years. We've done all kinds of different involvement. We had a Hope Classic uh, raising money. We had the Terry Fox run. We've looked after renovations. We've put in a new boiler. We've done more renovations. We've had to bring down the debt. And then, of course, our annual budget is six hundred to $650,000 a year for the recent past. So I thank you for your generosity to Broadway and what we want to do here. A generous person wants to make the world a better place. That's their soil. To be a part of something that changes lives and is bigger than themselves. This will involve volunteering time and skill to help out. On any given week, pre-COVID, we had about 280 volunteer hours given to Broadway Church every week. Some of it free skill and labor for fixing and building things. Some of it to help out in all the various ministries that were going on. Children's church, nursery, greeting, councils, elder meetings, worship and sound, youth, care group, leadership. It goes on and on. 280 volunteer hours a week. That's a lot of generosity. And then many of us have hours and money given outside of Broadway Church. This is a, this is a generous place. I want to go to 1 John 3.18. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If you have material possessions and see a person in need and you do nothing, how can the love of God be in you? Lying down our lives is not normally actually dying, but sacrificing for people. That's what it's getting at here. Let us not love with words only, but with actions and in truth. That's generosity, not just words, but actions. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not, well, you did a good job thinking about it. No, well done. So Paul has said here, we don't give under pressure or compulsion, obligation, but cheerfully. And that means being led by the Holy Spirit. He directs us. He speaks to us. He get, he's in our soil. And He gives us a, an overwhelming pressure to want to give. 
It's an inward force, and it's between you and God. And what it says take, it means having a transformed mind and heart to go after the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Chad and Mary and Tatiana are in the Ukraine right now. For many, it seems illogical. <laughs> the giving of their time and gifts and potentially their health and their life. But they're generous people. This is the way of Jesus, to give, to give, to give. Remember, Jesus said, I give my life. I give my life as a ransom. I have come to seek and to save the lost, people who are like sheep without a shepherd. This is how God gets his mission accomplished. And this is how we go to the nations and look after the poor in our nations. James said, this is true religion. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Don't let the toxicity of the world get into your soil. This is what Chad and Mary are doing. They're helping in the Ukraine. They're giving a generosity of the whole person. Now, generous giving can seem hazardous to some, especially for those who have little. But Paul insists that all of our resources ultimately come from God, and he is able. And Jesus said, serve him. The mission is worth the sacrifice. Because ultimately, you and I are not giving of our time and money to Broadway Church. We're giving it to God. We're working as unto Him. We have a local church here, and He places people here to teach and to lead and equip and to fulfill the mission that God has sent for us. This takes money. That's our annual budget. And as a community, we serve, we give, we look out for each other. And this beautifully connects us to communion today. God so loved he gave. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We remember God's love and grace and his generosity. When he comes into our life and does a work in our soil, it connects us to a new life source. We are in Christ. Peter defines this as participating in the divine nature of Christ. And he says we can be rescued from the corruption of the world, of going after worldly pleasures, but letting that be a toxic weed in our life. We can serve one master, the generous God. So we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 26. Paul says, I received from the Lord, and I'm passing it on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So these in many ways, symbolize the generosity of God toward us. We are saved by faith, not by works. And this is the work of Christ. This is what this represents, the work of Christ that saved us, dying on the cross for our sins, being raised from the dead, and we now have that new resurrection life, and we enter into the kingdom of God now, and we do kingdom work now, and we do it together. We do this work together. It was fantastic on prayer, the prayer meeting night to pray together for Chad and Mary and other things going on in the Ukraine. Do it together. 
they're not alone. We support them financially and in our hearts and we carry their burden with them. And that's what communion represents. We do this together. So let's take the bread. Take your bread. And he said, give thanks. We give you thanks, Jesus, for your body. And we do this in remembrance of your broken body for us. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant now based on the, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Covered this last February, or last, last February in our, in our uh, communion time. That the blood of Christ is the new covenant. Again, it shows him giving his life to us. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he says to have your treasure where God wants you to have the treasure. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Moth and rust. Another lesson from nature. Moth and rust cannot destroy it. We give, in many ways, what's to what I would call an invisible bank. And so this represents the generosity of God. And may it compel us to be generous to people and to the work of God in this city, in this country, and in the world. So we look to this. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it means we keep going, doing kingdom work until he comes. Let's take together. Have a good week, Broadway. I'm going to be away for the next three Sundays, but we have some fantastic speakers lined up for you, and we'll see you again uh, April 3rd.